0: Today, as we gather in the midst of worship, our uh, sermon series on the habits, holy habits or centered around uh, the working together of the congregation it takes a congregation, we are focusing on the holy habit of giving. And we're turning to the passage that hopefully you've seen uh, in your stewardship campaign mailers that have come out. We, uh, one was sent out on Monday. Um, okay, this is a minor miracle. And I voice squeaks because it makes it sound more that way. I don't know why I did that. Anyway, but we sent them out bulk rate on Monday. Some people had them Tuesday. This is faster than the first class, y'all. Somebody at the post office wanted you all to have these packets. I don't know. I don't know. But it was anyway. That's just one of those things we celebrate in the office when things work. So I um, thought I'd share that little minor victory with you all. But this passage is the, is the centering passage for our campaign this year. And it's 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6-7. through 7. Paul writing to the church in Corinth. Uh, this is uh, not his, well, this is the second letter of his to that church that we have in Scripture. It's not to say that there were not more. Actually, we, we're pretty sure there were more. But this is, the, uh, there's a lot going on as he's writing this church. He, there's a lot of behavior stuff. Or lifestyle stuff that Paul is continuing to try to manage for them, but at the same time, they have made this promise to support the mission of the church, and he's helping them to remember that promise and to encourage them in giving. And this isn't the only part in in Second Corinthians that he speaks to that, but this is one of the more um, uplifting. Well, they're all they're all pretty uplifting. He's pretty he's pretty uplifting on this, and that's that's not always Paul. You, if you read Paul's letters, he's not always the most uplifting. Sometimes he's just Pretty matter of fact but he says this the point is this the one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly okay that's not so uplifting it's just pretty point, pointed but all right but and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully each of you must give as you have made up your mind not regretfully or under compulsion for God loves a cheerful giver the word of God for the people of God Thanks be to God. Learning to share. I am these. They knew they didn't without they knew how to get the other person to have chalk. Give it to them. All of them. They were all ready to give their chalk. But that's a hard lesson to learn, isn't it? Learning to share. If you've worked in the church nursery, learning to share. Having kids at home, learning to share. Adults with their favorite foods, learning to share. It's one of the interesting things of of, uh, of building relationships. Uh, Laura and I going out to eat. She's looking at me now. I didn't I didn't run this one past her. Usually, I, you know, but you know, like, oh, I don't think I'll, I'll have dessert. You go you go ahead. What happens? I end up sharing the dessert, and I'm happy to do so. Not really at first, though. But not really at first. But you learn you learn to be happy. To share what you have, I uh, my favorite, not good for you cereal, is fruity pebbles. I don't think there's any redeeming value nutritionally from fruity pebbles except the milk that goes in them. But I would buy fruity pebbles in college, and my roommate would just grab the box and pour himself a bowl of fruity pebbles. And I just did that. I didn't say anything. Oh, sure, go ahead. And so I'm going, why are you eating my fruity pebbles, John? But the more, you, the more you get used to sharing, you know, it's okay, fine. You know, and there's this development of, oh, well, sure, go ahead. I can get more. I'll get more. But that was the last When You know, just, it's, there's a development to learning to share. It's not immediate. And it's not all the time. You might learn to share your toys as a kid, but then somebody's eating your fruity pebbles when you're 22. Sharing is 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 part. Not sharing is part of our fallen nature. Not being able to share through our brokenness and our sinfulness. Just by living in the world, we are prone to mine, mine. Who know? Remembers the Daffy Duck and the diamond. You remember that Looney Tune? There's this treasure, and he gets shrunk down, and he's holding on to this huge diamond. Well, it's not a huge diamond, but he's really tiny. He's just saying, mine, mine, mine. He's so focused on that diamond, and it being his, he, can't, he doesn't even pay attention to the fact that he's not himself anymore. He gets wrapped up in what's mine. Scripture has a lot to tell us about being wrapped up in what's mine doesn't it? It's one of the more frequent things that Jesus talks about. And sometimes he has some pretty challenging words for us to hear. But just as the word giving uh, of sharing rather lends itself towards uh, today's sermon topic of giving, there's another word that goes hand in hand with it in church life. It's the word stewardship. If you've been in church for more than a minute, you've probably heard stewardship at some point in time. In your, in your life, in your time in the church, and you start to go, oh, it's that. It's the annual shakedown, right? <laughs> but it shouldn't be. It shouldn't feel like that. And I used to, as a pastor, used to approach it like, okay, we got to do this thing. I'm sorry. We got to do this thing, but it's, we got to do it. But now, all right, this is one of my favorite Sundays of the year to talk about. Because stewardship is not just about meeting the budget. It's a different thing altogether than meeting the budget. They go hand in hand, but they're two different things. So let's, first, let's just take a look at the word stewardship. I like words. You may have learned that by now. I live in words, and it's, um, I, I like to know where words come from. Because even though we don't always necessarily use them the way in which they were developed... Sometimes it gives us a deeper hint at, at their meaning. And as I look at the word steward, you break it down, you go back to like old English stuff. And you have these two words. You have, it's not stew, it's sty. And you have ward or warden. You have a sty warden. What lives in a sty? You got it pigs. <laughs> Being good stewards means we take good care of the pig, where the pigs live, y'all. That's, what, that's where that word developed. But it's kind of, it's a messy word. But I love it because it's messy. Life is messy. Discipleship is messy as we develop it. And it's not always pretty. Sometimes it's stinky. Sties are always stinky, real ones, in my experience. But that's that, where that word come from. But it, it had developed a greater meaning of stew or sty being household. So it's the guardian of the house. We guard the house. It's not very different than what God said to Adam and Eve in the garden. They're the guardians of creation, of the house. They're meant to take care of it. It's theirs to manage and to look after. He continues to say the same to us, and it's not just in the limited number of things, but it's in all things that God has given us to look after. We're to be stewards of creation of our resources, of our time, our bodies, our relationships, and on and on and on. Anything that we uh, might think is part of us at any point in time, we are meant to be stewards of because it's passing through us. It's just ours for a little while, maybe even for a long time, but it's not ours forever. It's always with us for a while, and we're meant to take good care of it. In the church, at the the same time of this concept of stewardship, we wrap it around the idea of creating a budget for the church, for how the church's um, finances will be spent, and determining ministries and priorities over the course of the coming year. And and that's not a bad thing. There's a good reason for it. And it helps us to set a goal for giving that allows us to perform the ministries that we are led to pursue. And once we uh, finish that task we end up with the fiscal responsibility to meet the budget. If you've been around churches for maybe three or four minutes, if you've heard stewardship, you've heard meet the budget, whether or not we are or are not meeting the budget, right? So we have this task that comes alongside, and they walk parallel. And I have great respect for this meeting the budget. A dear saint, a friend who passed away several years ago, Stan Rogers, and he didn't come up with the same, but I, when, I he, when I think of it, I hear him saying it himself. If you're going to be a part of something, you, are, you should do your part. If you're going to be a part, you should do your part. And that's, in my head, of meeting the budget, yes, that's part of our duty as being a part of, a, of an institution. We do our part. But when we equate the two of stewardship and meeting the budget, we run the risk of equating them and making them the same thing. And there is a, di- a difference between the two, and I want to take some time this morning to explore. Now, being perfectly upfront about it, you know, if you run a household, if you have bills to pay, um, without giving in the, to the institution of the church, there are no lights, there's no heating or cooling or running water, there's no building, there's no staff, there's no chalk. Well, I brought the chalk, but there's no, you know, all the, there's no pet bullets, all the things that all goes away eventually. Um, that's just the reality of it. Now, there are some things we could do as home churches. We could gather in people's houses. We could have Bible studies. We could worship together. But the great and wonderful things we do beyond that would all disappear. So our gathered giving has a significant impact on what we are able to do for the kingdom of God, to provide places of, of consistent and ongoing growth and learning and service and ministry together together. Uh, that we can do on a much only on a much smaller scale um, without giving to the collective church and just to say something about watching this year's ch- or being a part of the uh, assembly of, assembling of the budget this year your church it, it did a beautiful thing in prayerfully and carefully considering the budget and making priorities it's been tough the last few years to make to put the budget together it's been tough, but it 's been done carefully and prayerfully considering priorities, uh, outreach, uh, things uh, that building and that which goes outside of the church building. And and even though uh, the church's budget this year has been reduced, we've been able to add more to the outreach ministry that had been re- reduced initially. And I think that's a wonderful thing. Almost, by more than 20 uh, percent, more than 25 percent actually. Somebody will check my numbers and let me know what how wrong or right I am later, but that, those are round numbers, and that's all good. But this sermon isn't about the holy habit of meeting the budget. That's not what this is about. It's just a reality that's part of the, what's going on behind the scenes and and the part of the life of church. But as your pastor, I'm less concerned. Now, this is this, some people are gonna they're gonna clutch, they're gonna double clutch inside when I say this, but I mean it. As your pastor, I'm less concerned That we meet the budget than I am, that you uh, grow in faith and mature disciples who are good stewards of what God has given to you for now. I'm less concerned about meeting the budget than I am about you being good stewards with what God has given to you. Now, don't get me wrong, I did not say I don't care if we meet the budget. I did not say that. All right. I'm on the record. We record everything now. I'm on the record for saying that, right? All right. But I just care less about the budget than I do about your faith journey. So let's turn back to our text. Paul writes, again, this is Paul speaking, the point is this. The one who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and the one who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each of you must give as you have made up your mind, not regretfully or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Of all the facets of a a maturing disciple, a maturing follower of Jesus Christ, few give us metrics to measure that aspect. We can count the numbers of time we come to church, our frequency, going to Bible study, how many hours we put into service ministry, but being at a place and doing a thing and learning doesn't necessarily equate to discipleship. But Paul has given us a metric. And it's not a numeric metric. It's an internal attitude about our our willingness to return to God a portion of that which God has given to us. This cycle of returning is really what giving is. We say giving as if it was ours to begin with, but really we're returning it because it ultimately started with God. So the metric, the clear metric is How do I feel about what I'm giving to the kingdom? That's the metric. Now, we translate this word cheerful, and it it almost sounds like we should be skipping down to the offering plate. You know, it's not bad. You're welcome to do that. I'd love to see it. We're on video. Remember that, by the way. But ultimately, it means that we're giving without with out being grudged is about it, unbegrudgingly. That's a hard word to tie together, y'all. But that's the essence of it. It's not about um, the amount we give. It's the attitude with which we give. That's the metric. And there's a journey towards um, measurable growth as a good steward. There's a journey towards it because when we give, we start at different places. But for the most part, we give minimally. Plenty of people just come and they pay for their seat. I'm here today. I'll drop. I, remember, I remember my friends going, oh. I was, was the year between college and seminary. I was still in Charlottesville. We were going to church. The plate came by. I put in 20 bucks. 20 bucks 30 years ago. It was a lot more then. And you would have thought I dropped in a $100 bill even then or even now. They're like, oh. Like, Dude, that's, that's not even, that's. I, I mean, made, I made that's not ten percent of my tips. I was waiting tables at the time. That's not ten, anything to celebrate. But it felt, but it, in the moment, it felt really good. But I was paying for my seat. It was a lot more than a movie. I could. There's probably three or four movies in there right then. But I paid for my seat. And we just start there. You know, we go from giving minimally to giving. You know, uh, well, not this is not necessarily all the the growth part. But there are different ways in which we give. We give We pay for our seat. We give because we're supposed to. And there's certainly a lot of grudge going into it. Sometimes we give out of guilt. Sometimes we give out of duty. If we're going to be a part, we do our part. Um, But then we start to grow. We grow and we give in response to God's blessings, returning to God, that which he gave to us to begin with. Then giving not simply in gratitude, but giving in gratitude with joy and trusting God with what's left giving with joy your first fruits, setting apart that first part of your income, it's an intentional thing, and then growing to giving of the full tithe, if you've been in church for maybe 10 minutes, um, you've heard that word tithe, 10% of your giving. And giving with joy beyond the tithe uh, after that. And in in my belief, in God's economy, the tithe is the beginning level of, of his expectation, but Churches don't expect that. We don't expect that, because we know what the reality of giving is in, in, in the U.S., and, uh, and it's much different than that. If you're looking just at a straight number, now some of you are going to like, he's going to talk numbers. I'm going to talk numbers for just a little bit. Hopefully, I'll put them into perspective, and for those of you who don't enjoy numbers, others of you, I, I don't have enough numbers, but I'm going to try, all right? <laughs> I'm looking at you back there with the numbers, yeah, <laughs> uh, Greg, Greg snows. He's like, nope. Uh, so as a straight number, the average adult church attendee gives $17 a week. And that's about a little, it comes a little under $1,000 a year. That's just straight numbers. Um, so that's that. As a percentage, about 5% of churchgoers tithe or give 10%. So what about, what about the 95% after that? Uh, 80% Give 2% or less of their income. 30% give nothing. 50% give 2% or less. 15% give between 2 and 10. And in, in the church world, if, we're, if you're in there, woo, we feel like we won. Because, because the basement church expectation, not God's economy expectation, but the church expectation is 2%. Woo, right. But God has a different metric. But let's see what the other side of this. Of those who do tithe, there's some numbers that are related to those who do tithe. 77% of those who tithe give 11 to 20% or more of their income. 97% of Christians who tithe make giving a, a top per, financial priority to, of their church. Seven, 70% of tithers do so based on their gross income and not their net income. That's a question we get, is it before or after taxes? That's, it's up to you. But when you give cheerfully, that becomes less of a question. It's just, it's just what it is. And then people who tithe regularly typically have less debt than other demographics. Eight out of 10 have zero credit debt. And this number is pretty wild. 28% of them are completely, completely debt free, including uh, not having a mortgage. So some of this tells me that once you find joy in giving, you tend to be people who go all in you just you're all in because uh, you see the blessing you see the blessing that you've received and you see the, what the blessing can do and you see what letting go of that blessing of returning that portion uh, can do and we tend to do a better job of managing the ninety percent that we that, or more or less after we give. Giving cheerfully does. However, come out of a maturing faith that lives in an ongoing communion, relationship, connection with God. And I'll say it again as your pastor. I'm less concerned that we meet the budget than I am of your growing faith and discipleship. And if there's some hang-up about giving to church, don't let that stop you from giving. If you don't feel like you can give to the church for whatever reason, give somewhere else. All right? (gasps) All right. I know, I don't even like saying it because I know the reality of it, it means we might have to stop. But I'm more concerned about your spiritual growth than I am about us meeting the church budget. So you might ask, how do I grow in giving? I hope you ask. I hope that's a question in your mind. In uh, uh, In terms of numbers or amount, when we start talking about giving, some people go straight to the tithe but almost nobody can go from zero to tithe in a heartbeat. That's, that's unreasonable, I think. Um, but we do learn about the tithe, and this is the background of the tithe. In Genesis 14, uh, 19 and 20, God and Abram, or soon to be Abraham, are talking. And God said, "And well, it says of God, and he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram. By God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave a tenth of everything. So that's the beginning of, of the tithe that we see in Scripture. And then later on, Leviticus, in Leviticus, we see it being more formalized. Leviticus 27. Every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. And it is holy to the Lord. So we, sometimes we start talking about tithe. But tithing is a lot. But then we start talking about first fruits. First fruits is, is the first part. It's about setting aside at the beginning, not waiting for what's left over. But that's, that can be hard, too, because if you've not been living that way, to learn to, to start to budget that way or to buy in to the fir- first fruit living um, is hard to do it as well. But this is where this comes from in Scripture Nehemiah 10, we obligate ourselves to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of of every tree year by year to the house. And then in Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Very few can start with a tithe. More can start with the first fruit part of it. Um, but that takes a willingness to, to, to schedule your sacrifice. Because that's what you're doing. You're setting aside your sacrifice at the beginning. And if you've not been living that way, that's a, that's a definite change of spirit within. A definite turning of attitude. And that attitude turn, I think, begins first with this concept of cheerful giving. It just starts there. Giving to God joyfully. Um, respectfully, non-begrudgingly because you understand the source of it. You see that God has given to us and returning a portion of it as a thank you. That is a gratitude offering so that then God can take that again and multiply it once more and to continue to further the kingdom of God, sharing the good news, spreading the gospel, helping us to grow in faith and helping to serve others At first, this growth, it starts slow, and it's deliberate, and it has to be intentional. You have to make a plan for it. But more, the more you practice and flex this muscle of faithful discipleship, the faster and freer the changeover becomes. And it's not even true of just the stewardship. It's true of all of discipleship. The more we take part in the holy habits of our faith, the more that we practice the disciplines that point us towards the things of God over and over and over again, the quicker and freer the pace of our maturation, of our growth in faith as followers of Jesus Christ. Until one day you just surrender all. I'm all in. Jesus, I am yours. I'm not holding back anymore. And that is the ultimate life of the disciple, the life of surrender. A life lived in joyful sacrifice. A life dedicated to the kingdom and not to self. And there is joy, and there is cheer, and there is peace, and there is freedom in that life. If you want to grow in faith, if you want to experience a deeper and deeper connection to the Almighty, it is does require that we dedicate our lives to developing holy habits that help to sustain our faith when the world pushes back against us help us to grow in faith as god continues to challenge our habits and push us to greater heights of faith help us to be in a position to do the right thing like serving our neighbor even when it's really hard or seems unsustainable developing holy habits is a part of our journey of faith and being habitually cheerful givers is a measurable way to know that we are moving in the right direction I invite and encourage us all together to sow bountifully that we might reap bountifully. And as we do, St. Stephen's will continue to be a blessing, not just to those who actively are growing in their faith in the life of the church, but also to all those whom that you bless through your giving and through your serving. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for every good thing that you share with us for you are the source of all good things, your word reminds us. And help us to see them as temporary gifts that we might use to glorify your name, to magnify your kingdom, to share the good news, and to live it. Help us to be people who give, You are generous of spirit and of life. So as the world looks upon us as your people, they may see you shining through. Generous, God, generous with grace and mercy and forgiveness and love. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.